Let me invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 35 this morning. Exodus chapter 35. It's page number 68 on the Pew Bible if you're using that one. We have been studying through the book of Exodus to get uh, an understanding of what God has for us in this book that was recorded several thousand years ago. Last week we saw that Israel had breached the covenant with God by crafting a graven image, a golden calf. And as a result, the covenant was nullified and God was ready to both abandon and destroy Israel. And He was going to start the nation over again with the family of Moses. But... Moses pleaded with God on behalf of Israel that he would not destroy Israel. And so God agreed to allow them to live, and he, but he did say that he was not going to go with them into the wilderness. He was going to send them on their way on their own. And we know that the covenant was nullified because of Moses' symbolic act when he reached the base of the mountain, which was what? He threw the tablets to the ground and broke them into pieces. But Moses recognized that going through any part of life without the presence of God was a death wish. And so he begged God to reestablish the covenant with them, that God would reestablish the covenant with Israel. And God agreed, because God is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, as we read. And as a visible symbol of God's presence, and that He would be with the people of Israel, God met Moses, and He gave Moses a glimpse of His glory. And God only did this because Israel was now willing to repent. Their repentance is seen in their willingness to accept the consequences of their sin. Remember, several thousand people died. And their symbolic act of changing their clothes and removing all their jewelry to be replaced with funeral clothes, sackcloth and ashes. And apparently they would wear these clothes throughout the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Israel had repented. And further evidence of their repentance and commitment to God will be seen this week when we look at chapters 35-39 through of Exodus. And we'll see that they actually give to God and they, in uh, glad submission to Him, offer themselves and their resources for the construction of the temple. So this morning I'd like to cover Exodus 35-39. through Exodus 39. But let me begin reading by... Uh, Let me begin by reading the first nine verses of chapter 35. Exodus 35, beginning in verse 1. This is the Word of God. Then Moses assembled all the congregation of the sons of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it, shall be put to death. You shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord had commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, and blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat's hair, 
and ram skin dyed red, and porpoise skins, and acacia wood, and oil for lighting, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and setting stones, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. This passage here, these five chapters, are a continuation of what we looked at last week, that Israel had repented, repented, and the proof of that, the result of that, was in what we see this week, their cheerful giving of themselves and their resources. And so what we learn today is that genuine repentance results in cheerful giving of ourselves and our resources. And what you should notice in these five chapters is that this is largely uh, a repeat of chapters 25 to 31. We've already looked at that. and, And in those chapters, what we saw was that God had given instructions for how the tabernacle was going to be made. What was all involved in the furnishings and, and what they needed to bring, what material was everything made out of, and so on. And the main difference here in the repeated material that we have is that, that now we have the carrying out of that construction. So before it was God commanding them to do it in such a way, in a detailed way, and now Israel is going to carry it out in chapters 35 to 39 according to the way that God had prescribed. So let's look at several things in this passage. First, genuine repentance results in glad obedience to God's law. Genuine repentance results in glad obedience to God's law. In verses 1-3, through we see that it was critical for Israel to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday. It was for the people of Israel a day that was to be set apart for the purpose of worship. And and the the importance of this is if they did not keep the Sabbath, they would not have any use of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place where God would meet with His people and where He would allow them to offer sacrifices through the priests as an atonement for their sins. We saw the importance of Sabbath worship in chapter 31, verses 12 through 17. There, God had listed all the requirements that I was just talking about, all the instructions of the tabernacle, it's in furnishings, And then he gets to the end and he says, oh yeah, and by the way, don't forget the Sabbath. Make sure that you and the people are obeying the Sabbath. Because if Israel was going to receive any value from the tabernacle, they would be required to observe the Sabbath. And so God tells them, honor it and keep it holy. Here in chapter 35, verses 1-3, through God reminds them again of the importance of keeping the Sabbath at the outset of the construction of the tabernacle. And what I think he's saying is not hey, once you get the tabernacle set up, make sure you keep the Sabbath. I think the point is you need to be keeping it now, even while this tabernacle is being constructed. Do you recognize how important it is to set your life, put your life on pause while you come to worship Me? And the, the, the reason I think that is because of verse 2, uh, the tense of the verb there, is a present tense verb. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Meaning that this was a present verb, meaning that they needed to observe the Sabbath throughout the construction of the tabernacle. So genuine repentance results in glad obedience to God. That I'm going to set apart a day for the purpose of God to worship Him. Secondly, genuine repentance results in cheerful giving to God's work. Cheerful giving to God's work. And we see this in the last part of 
of chapter 35, and we also see it towards the beginning of chapter 36. Here in this next section, God chose to supply the materials needed uh, for the tabernacles, and He chose to do it through the contributions of the people. Look again at verse 4, uh, verse 5. Here's what God says to Moses, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it. And then He lists all the materials that are needed for the tabernacle. The way that these materials were going to be gathered was not that God was going to miraculously just drop a load uh, of materials for them and then they could, hey, they could just pull from that load that He had dropped. But instead, He's going to ask them to give of their own resources for the use of the tabernacle. God's command for the people to give was a good test to see where the people were on their commitment to God, right? Oh, we are so sorry about the golden calf, are you? Let's see. Let's see if your hearts are really in this. Why don't you give a voluntary offering for my purposes, for the building of the tabernacle? How would they give? Would they give sparingly? Would they give very little? Or would they give to meet the need? Would they give according to their ability and even beyond their ability? Was their giving going to be enough? Notice the result of their giving in chapter 36 beginning in verse 2. So God calls for them, hey, give a voluntary offering for the purpose of the construction of the tabernacle. And here's the result. Look at chapter 36, verse 2. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every skillful person in whom the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him to come to the work to perform it. And they received from Moses all the contributions which the sons of Israel had brought to perform the work and the construction of the sanctuary. And they still continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. So here we start to get an idea of where Israel is. God says, let's take up an offering, and not an offering of money, but an offering of, of I shouldn't say of just money, but, but also of all these other resources that I need. And, and they're bringing gifts every morning to God. These are yours, God. They belong to you. You can use them for the tabernacle. Verse 4, And all the skillful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work which he was performing. And they said to Moses, The people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord has commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command, and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp, saying, let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. And thus the people were restrained from bringing any more, for the material they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. So not only did they give of their own resources, but they gave more than enough. It was sufficient for the, the construction of the tabernacle. And it seems to me that this is an evidence of their genuine repentance. That they had seriously turned from their sins and they were willing now to follow God, to turn toward God. And an evidence of that is seen in their giving. That this, at this point, they are excited about being restored to God's favor. They recognize what they could have lost if God would have abandoned them forever. Genuine repentance results in cheerful giving to God's work. So, first, genuine repentance results in glad obedience to God's law. Second, genuine repentance results in cheerful giving to God's work. And then thirdly, 
Genuine repentance results in the joyful sacrifice of our time and our resources. Genuine repentance results in the joyful sacrifice of our time and our resources. We see this really in chapters 36 through 39. It's really not enough for Israel to give their gifts and then to go back to their tents and put their feet up. It's not enough for Israel to give their um, it's not enough to them, for them to have precise plans about what the tabernacle is going to look like. Because if the tabernacle was going to be constructed, they would need people who would take the materials that had been brought in and then actually construct the tabernacle according to the plan that was laid out. And so, we find in chapter 35, verse 30, that God calls two main leaders for the construction of the tabernacle, Bezalel and Aholiab. These were kind of the leaders. Bezalel was the main guy, I think, and Aholiab was his assistant. And then uh, notice their task here in chapter 35, verse 30. Then Moses said to the sons of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Benjamin, or the tribe of Judah, and he was filled with, uh, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship to make designs for working in gold and in silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for settings and the carving of wood so as to perform in every inventive work. He also has put in the heart to teach both he and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And he has filled them with the skill to perform every work of an engraver and of a designer and of an embroiderer in blue and in purple and in scarlet material and in fine linen and of a weaver as performers of every work and makers of designs. These men were charged with the responsibility to construct the tabernacle. But, but notice that they would not do this project alone. Look at verse 34 again. He has also put in his heart, Bezalel's heart, to teach. Both he and Aholiab. Both of them had the gift of teaching. Not only did they know how they could, they could uh, craft all of these materials into the way that God wanted them, but He was also able to teach others to do the same. And so in chapter 36, verses 8-38, through 38, we have the construction of the tabernacle. And then in chapter 37 through chapter 38, verse 8, you have the construction of the tabernacle furnishings. Remember we talked about all these, Ark of the Covenant, Table of the Bread of Presence, Golden Lampstand, Altar of Incense, Bronze Altar, Bronze Basin. Those are all discussed in that passage. And then in chapter 38, verses 9-20, through 20, you have the construction of the tabernacle courtyard. So we have all this construction. God had said how He wanted it done. And now we see that Israel is actually carrying it out. And now in chapter 38, verses 21-31, we see that these people uh, had given so much of their own resources. Look at verse uh, 21. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, let's start in verse 24. This is kind of a record of all that was given for the, the construction of the tabernacle. All the gold that was used for the work and all the work of the sanctuary or tabernacle, even the gold of the wave offering was 29 talents and 730 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. So 29 talents and 730 shekels. One talent was the amount that you would pay for a bondservant, someone who would serve you for the rest of their days. And typically they would think that a good bondservant, uh, kind of a, 
a lifelong bond servant, would give him 23 good years of service. And so it works out to about, one talent works out to about 23 years of work, or in our terms, about $1 million. And so the fact that they had 29 talents plus 730 shekels suggests that they had given $30 million, in our terms, in gold. And then look at verse 25. The silver of those of the congregation who were numbered was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels according to a shekel of the sanctuary. So when you think talents, think weight or measurement. And again, it's just a a way to measure how much silver they have. And so the fact that they had 1,000 talents of silver, it doesn't matter if it's silver or gold, it's still going to be the same amount of money. So 1,000 talents works out to be about $1 billion in silver for the construction of the tabernacle. This money was God's money that He had given them when they left Egypt. you remember how they got this money? That, that God said, you plunder the Egyptians and here's how you're going to do it. When you leave, ask them if you can have their things. And at that point, God had already shown all of these great plagues and, and displayed His power in great ways till the point where he killed the firstborn of the Egyptians for refusing to let his people Israel go. And when they were on their way out, they asked for all their possessions and they took as much as they wanted. So all these possessions were really given to them by God and now they're simply giving them back to God. God's saying, listen, I want a voluntary offering. I'm not going to compel you. I'm not going to force you to give. You give based on your own desire. And I want you to, to give towards the work of my sanctuary, my tabernacle. You see, these people were serving as managers of His resources. They were simply giving to God what He had already given to them. They were holding the money that God had given them so that it would be used for His purposes when He called for it. And this is what exactly how we should view our own finances. That we are not owners of our money and our resources. But we are only managers of it because all money is God's money. God owns it all. He is the creator of it all. And He has gifted us with a portion of it. And for us, it is it should be a joy and a pleasure to give back to Him out of what He has given to us. And if we're going to be good managers of God's resources, then we're going to use it for His purposes. And that doesn't mean we give it all to the church. Okay? Part of the purpose for God to give you money is to sustain your own life and to care for your own family. Remember what uh, Timothy Paul says to Timothy? If you don't care for your own family, if you don't take care of the provisions of your own family, you are worse than an unbeliever. Okay? So God, one of God's purposes is for you to care for your family and for yourself but also to give to Christ's church. We'll talk about that later. And to help the poor. If Israel really was repentant, really was willing to turn from their sins, it would be expressed in their glad obedience to Him, in their cheerful giving, and not only of their their money, their resources, but also themselves. In chapter 39, we have the construction or the design or the making of the priest's clothes. And uh, this was something that God was very careful to detail out what they would look like. And so we have the really fulfillment of that uh, in chapter 39. 
And then number four, genuine repentance results in the careful attention to details. In careful attention to details. Genuine repentance results in glad obedience. It results in cheerful giving. It results in joyful sacrifice. And then fourthly, it results in careful attention to details. Chapter 39, verses 32 through 43. Let me read verse 32 for us. Chapter 39, verse 32. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was completed, and the sons of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. God didn't just give them all the details back in chapters 25 to 31 just so that, hey, you can just do it however you want. He was very specific on how He wanted the Ark of the Covenant to look. He was very specific on the dimensions of the tabernacle. How big the most holy place was supposed to be. How big the holy place was supposed to be. How big the courtyard was. Where each thing was supposed to be positioned. And what it tells us here in verse 32 is that Israel did exactly as God asked them to do. Skip down to verse 42. Chapter 39, verse 42. So the sons of Israel did all the work according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And Moses examined all the work. And behold, they had done it. Just as the Lord had commanded, this they had done. So Moses blessed them, probably prayed for them, praised God for them. Genuine repentance results in the careful attention to details. After the construction of the tabernacle was complete, before God comes to meet with them, to join them, Moses here in verse 42 performs... a a sort of quality control. He wanted to make sure that everything that they had crafted and the way that they set this whole thing up was exactly as God had commanded. And since the law had been given to Moses directly, he was responsible to be the mediator. God's Word to the people. And and then he was going to present this back to God. And so, you know, we might look at Israel and and want to cut them some slack because, hey, they're, they're not really home. They're out in the middle of the wilderness. And, and they've had a long couple of years living under the, the rule and the oppression of Egypt. And then all these, these strange battles that they've had to face and trials. And so you might think, you know, it, it might be okay for Israel to cut a few corners. It might be okay for them. But we see here that they were not willing to cut corners. That they fulfilled the requirements exactly as God desired. And as a result, Moses gave a brief prayer for them and said, yes, this is exactly what God asked for. Genuine repentance results in cheerful giving of ourselves and our resources. And if we're serious about our relationship with God, if we recognize from what we have been forgiven that, that we deserved God's full and just wrath because of our sin, then I believe that we will respond with glad obedience, with cheerful giving, with joyful sacrifice, and with careful attention to the details of how God wants to be worshipped. We will, if we have truly repented, give of ourselves and our resources for the purposes of God. Friends, serving God is labor. It oftentimes is difficult, but it should not be a chore. Following Christ as I mentioned last hour, requires us to wear a yoke, but in comparison to our previous yoke, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. 
So let me leave you with two encouragements this morning. Two encouragements. First, God is worthy of your best effort. God is worthy of your best effort. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians, toward the back of the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. God is worthy of your best effort. You see, God has initiated a relationship with you. He desires to meet with you and to make you a part of His family. But God is not like an abusive boss or a hateful governor. He is a God who is loving and good. And as a result, He demands our best effort. What would God have thought if Israel didn't give of their best resources? What if where God asked for gold, they gave bronze? And where God asked for bronze, they gave tin. Would God be okay with that? You know, we, we know you said you wanted the tabernacle like this and all of the, the clothing of the priest to look like this, but we've made a little bit different. We've made a few modifications. You see, Israel serves as a positive example, in this case, of what joyful giving of ourselves and our resources look like that they gave to meet the need and even beyond what was necessary. Sadly, Israel's history was also spotted with times of reluctant and compulsive giving, wasn't it? Like in Malachi chapter 1, you remember where Israel had drifted into the giving of their leftovers to God? They were sacrificing what kind of animals? They were blind, lame Animals and God says, "No, I want the firstborn. I want the best of your, of your flock." You remember how God responded to their leftover type of giving? Try giving these to your governor. Try giving these to someone important. See if they'll accept it. The point is, is those gifts, if they're not worthy of an earthly, sinful governor, they surely are not worthy of God. We are like Israel in that we can fall into the trap of thinking that God takes pleasure, listen to this, God takes pleasure somehow in the gift itself. When really there's nothing inherent in the gift. As if God needed anything, right? Does God need our gift? Does God need our time, our resources, our money? Hey, in one sense, no, He doesn't. He doesn't need anything. But God wants from us, desires from us both the proper gift and that it be done in the right heart. And there are several kinds of gifts that we ought to gladly give. And I think from this passage here in 2 Corinthians, we'll see that we ought to give our lives. That's what Paul commended the Macedonians for here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you. So he's talking to the church at Corinth and he says, I want to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability they gave of their own accord begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. 
Notice again verse 5. They first gave themselves. Why was it that even in their deep and abject poverty that they could give a wealth of liberality? Why could they give in such abundance and out of such love? Verse 5 tells us, because they first gave of themselves. And so what I'm telling you is that we will not give our time, our money, our resources, and our ability to God in a proper way if we have not first done what these churches in Macedonia did. They first gave themselves. We, like they, ought also to give of our money, like the Macedonians, like Israel. And recognize that all money is God's money, so we simply are managers. And therefore, we, when we see a need that will accomplish the work of God, we ought to give to meet that need. I'm not talking about just when we have an appeal for a need. There are lots of times in, that I have been proud of our church and their giving to a specific need. Like when we have uh, a trip to another country to visit one of our missionaries and we we ask for the church to give of various kinds of things so that we can pack the suitcases and leave them with the people. And, and, and I'm, I, I am encouraged by that, but, but what I'm also talking about here is a regular, faithful giving that we ought to give to meet specific needs, but also a faithful and regular giving to the work of God at this church. We also ought to give of our time and our ability. It's not just money. You know, again, God expects more of us than just our money. If we just come to church every Sunday and, and put some money in the plate, it doesn't mean we've accomplished what God wants for us. We also ought to give of our time and our ability. And I'm thankful for this church. Many of you have come to help out, uh, came to help out at the church a few weeks ago to clean up and, and repair many things around the church. And there are a number of you who just weekly are, are setting up and tearing down in the fellowship hall. There are others who come at various times to prepare, prepare various things around the church. There are some who come early to make sure that the coffee is ready and that the church is in order and that there's someone there to greet you. And that is great. But, but we should each be thinking how we can be used of God with our time and our abilities for the use of the church. One of the best ways to do that is simply to, to come to every service. If you are serious about serving God, why would you not want to be with God's people, listening to His Word, singing together, and praying with other believers every time the church doors are open? See, God will not accept your leftovers. Uh, you know, I have a little bit of time that I can give to this service, but I can't come to every service. Is, it, is God not worthy of our best effort? And don't settle for giving Him your leftovers when it comes to your money and your time and your ability. And secondly, second encouragement is that God is concerned about the details. First, God is worthy of your best effort. And secondly, God is concerned about the details. Meeting with God in order to worship God should not be an afterthought. You know, it shouldn't be the leftover idea. I've got a lot of things going on this week. Oh, and I probably should also go to church. Or 
I have a lot of bills to pay, and oh, I, if I have some left over, I hope I can give some to the church. Or I know I'm going to be singing and listening to God's Word today, but it probably doesn't matter if I prepare myself for that. I'll just show up. You know, or we just come without thinking of how we can encourage someone else. We come thinking, I've got all these issues and I hope someone encourages me. Instead, we ought to come with an idea of what can I do to serve the other people in this church? What can I do to help bring someone to the next level of glory? Maybe it is to salvation. Maybe it is to greater spiritual maturity. Maybe it is to get them out of the distress that they've been in for the last month. What can I do to help in that way? You see, God is concerned about the details. We can't sloppily overlook God's expectations of how He demands to be worshipped. I mean, for Israel, it took a great amount of time to construct the tabernacle and its furnishings, and it will culminate. Next week, we'll see in chapter 40, it will culminate in the spectacular condescension of God's special presence. But we, as believers today, who do not serve God in the tabernacle, we should not expect God to ignore our lack of concern for details when it comes to the worship of Him. As if we can sloppily just give our leftovers and say, hey, God, just accept it and, and you know, you're loving, you'll, you'll, you'll accept it. God calls us to do some very important things when we come to worship Him. Worshiping God when we come together means honoring His Word. That's why we read and pray and meditate on the passage that will uh, uh, that is preached, hopefully after and before. That's why you have the sermon schedule for you to meditate on it before. We ought to worship Him through the singing of songs. Right? Does God call us to sing together and to one another? Ephesians tells us that those who are filled with the Spirit sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Sing to God and sing to the congregation. We ought to worship God by encouraging other believers. If we're going to be a part of God's worship and doing it according to the details that He's laid out, then we need to encourage other believers. One of the ways I already mentioned was simply coming to every service. You don't know how much of an encouragement it is to me and many of the other members of the church that you just come. That you come to the service. That is encouraging to see that you are serious about the Word of God. That you are serious about seeing God honored in your life. But you can also encourage others by, as we just saw, singing to one another. That's one of the ways that you encourage other believers. And also by praying for one another. I often encourage you to pray for each member of the church by name. And then speak words of truth. Hebrews 10 says, Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. Uh, that's Hebrews 3, sorry. He, encourage one another day, daily as long as it's called today so that you will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10 says that we should provoke one another to love and good works and that we should not forsake forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Come to church with the mentality that I'm going to be a provider. I'm going to be one who serves. I'm not going to come. Yes, I have needs. And I know that God will take care of my needs. But I'm going to come to help bear someone else's load. I'm going to try to bear some of their burden with them. And as a Christian, we were never meant to live this life alone. 
And so there will be times when we are down and we need you to help us. There will be times when I am down, when I need you to help me, to help carry my load. But make it a goal of yourself to carry your own load and then to help carry the load of others. And I'm thankful for the many examples in our church when you do that. And that, that I see that often. We've got to worship God by living out what we have learned. It's not enough, not enough just to come to church on Sunday, give of our resources, and then go back to our life and live like pagans. We need to meditate on what we've learned. Be complicit with the Holy Spirit to see Him work within us and leave this congregation of believers pursuing holiness in a greater way than we had before. Genuine repentance results in glad obedience and the joyful giving of ourselves and our resources. And really, if you think about it, it is the very least we can do for the God who loves us and who is with us and who gave His Son for us. He is worthy of your best effort and He is concerned about the details. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would convict us where we have failed You and where we have been defiant to You. We pray that You would reveal to us lovingly our own sin and help us to see where we can improve. Or there is no one here who is perfect. There is no one here who cannot take something from what Your Word had for us this morning and, and be changed. Sometimes we listen to sermons like this and think of all the people that could, could benefit from hearing it. And we hope that it helps them, but we don't think about how it can affect us. And so, Lord, we pray that You would help each of us to be doers of Your Word and not hearers only. We're not hearers for the sake of other people so that they will change, but hearers for ourselves so that we will be uh, changed to be more glorious, a better reflection of Your glory. Lord, You deserve our best effort. So we pray that You would help us to, to know how to come to You, how to worship You, and we would take time to, to understand what You demand of us and to give ourselves accordingly. Lord, the the genuine repentance that is seen among many of the, the people of this church is an encouragement to see how You have changed them and they are fulfilling many of these things. And so we pray that You would just help them to grow even more. Help me to do the same. And Lord, we pray if there is anyone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would understand the, the great weight that they bear on themselves, that they will bear the the consequences of their sin in eternity and hell if they do not turn from their sins and accept Your Son as the finished work, the, the final sacrifice for their sins. Lord, may You work in, in us today through the power of Your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.